even if you're journaling 10 terrible ideas and, you, and you're just following them through to their normal end conclusion and you look at them all the next day and you're like, these are terrible. That's better than nothing. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. In studio today, we have a very talented writer who hails from my old stomping ground, film and TV. Ryan Farley's credits include Ozark on Netflix, Justified on FX, and Cold Case on CBS, among others. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, Kim. Great to be here. Thanks. So becoming a TV writer in Hollywood, as we know, isn't easy, and you didn't start in that direction. You grew up in the metro Detroit area with dreams of following in your dad's footsteps as a firefighter. Can you tell us about that life for a minute? Um, yeah, uh, my, you know, I grew up in Warren, Michigan, uh, which is right next to Detroit. And my dad uh, was a firefighter with the Warren Fire Department. And my whole life, I wanted to be a firefighter like him. And he became very ill when I was about eight years old. He had uh, ALS. And so a lot of our, uh, our childhood was watching him sort of get sicker and sicker, which obviously had a very profound impact on my life and, and actually made me closer to him. And, and so I looked up to him a great deal and idolized him. And so he passed away when I was 18. And then when I was 19, I went and joined the fire academy and I was like gearing up, going down that path. And uh, then I started taking uh, classes at EMT school after Fire Academy, and I realized I didn't want to do medical runs for my whole career, and that would have been like 90% of my job at the time. And and so I did a total 180 change and changed career paths, paths, but I very much was, I mean, it was a huge part of my life and had a huge influence on me. What was that 180 catalyst it was a couple things um i have an older brother sean who's uh lives in michigan a couple of years older and growing up he was always the one who was into uh film and television and so i saw his passion and if it wasn't for him i probably wouldn't even have realized at the time I probably wouldn't even have realized at the time that I could do, I'd do this as a career. And so after I dropped out of fire Academy, I started uh, driving around the country and working like every odd job you can imagine. And I started taking acting classes at a community college for like years. And, um, and I started writing like i started writing you know stage plays screenplays uh things of that nature and just felt just really fell in love with it fell in love with that process and and fell in love with like self-examination and exploring you know my past and things i was interested in um 
and that, and then it just sort of evolved in that way. Well, I, you know, that with the whole sort of blue collar background, a Hollywood dream kind of story, I think you should write a book about that someday. So people from all parts of America can believe they can do it. Was there any part of the changeover that you thought, hell no, this is never going to happen? Um, changeover from, from being, being being in like the rock spout to moving to L.A.? Yes. Uh, no, I was sort of, I was almost, I was too delusional in a good way, I guess. Like I didn't. I just really enjoyed doing it and, you know, I would have little baby successes along the way. So I didn't real like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so in a great way, I just kept going, you know, if I would have, if I would have read my old stuff, you know, I, cause I really started in earnest when I was 19, I'm 41 now. If I would have read my old stuff, like now that I was doing back then, I'd be like, this is terrible. But when I was a kid and I was doing it, I didn't realize that. And that was a good thing because it just kept me going on the path. Um, So I've never been a person who's like, I can't do that. I've always been more of a person of I'm going to try to do that. Um, And that's just that's just kind of how I am. And I think a lot has to do with, you know, my father you know, he passed away when he was 50. And so for good and for bad, I've kind of always had this attitude of, you know, screw it, go for it. Whatever happens going to happen. Life is short anyway. Um, and that can be a blessing and a curse, but it definitely allowed me to, to take professional risks that otherwise I might not have taken. Do you think that, you know, and thank you for sharing about your dad and I'm sorry for your loss at a young age, but do you think when those kinds of circumstances affect us that it weighs upon what we're interested in writing about? You mentioned that you like to do a lot of self-exploration. Does death or losing a parent or, you know, those themes, mortality, do you find those creeping into your writing? Nonstop. <laughs> Nonstop. Okay, I'm glad I was sort of right about that. Thank God. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they say you're always just writing the same story over and over. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily true. But yes, these, these father-son themes these themes of mortality, we wrote about them a lot in, in Ozark, you know? Um, and, you know, I've always seemed to find uh, myself going back to themes of, of parent-child relationships, themes of mortality, um, you know, themes of, you know, what it means to be a grown-up, if you will, uh, you know, those sorts of, th- those sorts of things. And I probably find myself getting away from it a little bit as I get more interested in sort of other things, um, because I've explored those types of themes so much, but I find myself 
constantly going back to them in one way or another. And reworking it, finding a fresh light on it. And look at the benefits you wrote on a hugely popular show, Ozark still continues to be a top show on Netflix. And yes, I mean, the darkness, the mortality, the father-son relation, it's just so, it's so big on that show. There was a decision that you made at one point in your career to step away from partying. You made some health and life choices and sort of off the cuff, you told me it was okay to mention that you were essentially killing yourself with booze. How has your sobriety now changed you as a writer? Well, sobriety has changed me in the sense that it's given me just another chapter and and another perspective on stuff. And in a way, it's been helpful because I still have that past you know, I still have that past I can I can check back to, but now I also can see a different perspective of things. But I also just it was just I just needed to be sober just to to be a more to be a better person. Like I just wasn't proud of the person I was. I wasn't proud of the person I was becoming. You know, I hurt people in my life close to me and I, I just needed to to get sober and change and seeing that ability, you know, to change, um, and, you know, fighting certain demons and things like that. I think those are pretty universal themes in general. And so just having that experience of, you know, dealing with those certain things and then at least knock on wood up to this point, you know, evolving and, and, coming out the other side a little bit has given me a fresh perspective on things. And and then just from a practical standpoint, you get more done when you're sober, you know, cause I'm not, cause I'm not losing days like sick in bed from hangovers, you know? Um, and I would get a lot done when I'd still be, it was actually kind of crazy. It was kind of crazy that I was able to function as long, as long as I was, um, and that wasn't necessarily a good thing either. Um, but you know, once there's just a clear headedness when you're sober, that that's just, it's different when you're not sober. And so I'm still able to tap in to this. My writing hasn't changed as far as, you know, I still am interested in the same subjects, the same themes, you know, that stuff. I just have a clear head about stuff and have a bit more perspective on certain things. And I'm just more productive because I have more time in the day because I'm not either at the bar or throwing up from a hangover. Right. And that's right. And that's good. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. And, you know, I liked what you said about now you have this uh, history and these experiences, people come to me to write books and they'll say, you know, I don't know if this is going to freak you out, what I'm about to tell you. And I want to say, you know, and I sometimes I do say to them, look, there's probably nothing I haven't either seen, done, or heard at this point in my life, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. What is it that you think lends to someone being successful 
how did you get on the shows you were employed on? What what did you do to to receive those jobs? Um, a couple. I mean, a few a few things. I mean, the biggest thing was I moved to LA and I I went to USC in their screenwriting program. Um, before I, you know, before I did that, I didn't know anyone in the business. I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. It gave me sort of a bubble to just work on, um, you know, my, my schooling, my training. And I took a lot of time off before I moved here. So I was like older than most students, you know, it was a little, it was a little different. And like, I had to like pay my own way through student loans and I had a bit, it was a little bit different, um, you know, perspective in that sense. Uh, but it allowed me to um, just focus on my work. And then I was in a pilot class uh, where I wrote a pilot uh, with a professor who had been in the business for decades and uh, we hit it off. And um, this professor passed my script on to a colleague of his who was running cold case about to about to run cold case. And so she read my work and they hired me as a researcher um, on the show. And so for my first year, I did research for most of the year and then they hired me to write a freelance episode. And so after I wrote that freelance episode, they hired me for the following season to be on the staff full time. And then I wrote two more episodes. Which is there. really, and that's I, really exciting. And that is, that is the path that I hear very often. You either go in as a writer's assistant or a researcher. And then <clears throat> what I've heard though, is a lot of times they hold you down in that place. It's hard to ascend, but it sounds like you did a really good job of working your way up the ladder really quickly. I'm, I was fortunate. Because like those stories you've heard, Kim, I I know of many of them. I know of many of those stories where people are stuck in writers' PA jobs or writers' assistant gigs, and they can't get out of it. Um, I was a little bit uh, fort. I mean, I was a lot fortunate, but it was fortunate in the sense that I was sort of in a culture where, as the researcher, they didn't have a writer's assistant in the room. And on the show I was on, a lot of it was research. So I was sort of doing this double job. And I was also starting to pitch in the room and become um, friends with my colleagues to the point where they trusted when I would pitch ideas. And then from that, I was able to say, hey, can I pitch a few episode ideas? Because there was an open slot remaining for an episode that was you know, back on one of the few shows that had 22 episodes at the time. There's so there's very few like that now. And, uh, you know, I pitched them an episode idea and, and they gave it to me, you know, they liked the idea and we, and we did it. And so, you know, but it was a lot of, a lot of hours, you know, a lot of late hours at the office, either doing research or compiling notes and, you know, staying at the office when everyone else had, had left. And just, you know, really showing that work ethic and that diligence to mm. get that opportunity. And 
fortunately I got that opportunity. There's many people who do the same amount of hours, have the same work ethic, and they don't get that opportunity. Um, so it really depends on the culture of the show, if, if they're looking to promote from within. I mean, what I'm hearing, though, is a passion that you had from 19 on. And what's really struck me is what you said in the beginning of the interview was you went on this, you know, road trip of experiences and you took the acting classes and you did and you just steeped yourself in a kind of cavalier education. And then the cherry on the top was USC. So I doubt that it was any kind of there's a little luck, but it sounds to me like a very well trodden path. I definitely, um, I definitely made attempts to put myself in positions to succeed. Um, having said that, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people who do the same thing and they don't get those opportunities. So for, for a number, you know, for whatever reason, I was fortunate enough to get it and have, have been able to establish a, establish a career, you know, but I went, I went to school with a number of people at USC who were very good and aren't working in the business now. Mm. And, you know, and so I remember my first day at USC, you know, pretty much everybody in the program was like in the auditorium, everyone in the film program was in the auditorium and they're like, how many people here are going to make it in this business? And like everyone raises their hand and they're like, all but four of you put your hand to house. Wow. (laughs) That's hard. (laughs) They were were pretty blind, you know, and, and, and and there is a truth to that. If you're going into it because you think you're going to just make it and like, I mean, obviously that's the dream, but you got to love it. Like you got to love it. Like, I, you yeah. know, I did it for, I did it for 11 years making absolutely nothing and paying and, and being in debt and student loans. When I graduated from school, I was in debt for student loans over $200,000. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. But that was like that whole like risk, go for it. Whatever happens, I'll deal with it later. You only live once, life's short. That was just sort of how how I lived it. I'm so glad I did at the time because I have a little bit of a different perspective on life and would I be that ballsy now? I don't know. I hope I would, but I don't know. Well, I can't wait to see you win a Golden Globe or an Emmy. I know it's coming. I know it's, I know it's on, it's going to happen. And I'm going to say he was on my podcast. He's my friend. So I, I'm looking forward to that happening. Let's talk for just a minute about writer's block. A lot of people that I work with suffer from this ailment and a lot of people listening do as well. What do you do when you hit writer's block? Um, I don't even, I really try not to even think about that term like I almost I'm weird man I almost look at it as like a jinxed term like I don't even like I don't even like when people say it I don't even like it like to me it's you just just write through it write crap if you have to you know go for a walk talk to someone about it 
you know, work out something with someone, even if it's crap for a month or two months or three months, just right through it. It's better than nothing, you know, and that's, and that takes guts, you know, to overcome that because so much of it in this business is fear as far as, is it going to be good? Is it going to be the idea that I originally imagined? Well, no, it's not going to be the idea because it'll never be as perfect as it is in your head. You know, but getting over that, that fear on a daily basis, I think is, is a, is a real thing. Um, you know, and it's just, sometimes you're, you just gotta, your brain just like fries or, or taps out. And instead of banging your head against the wall, you got to go do something else. And in those oddest moments, something will pop. And I think it was the New Yorker that wrote an article called the Eureka moment years ago. It was a very good article, but it talks about especially this. And it talks about the creative process of like, is there a benefit to like think tanks sitting in a room and banging their head against the wall all the time? And they were going through how our brains work. A lot of times you get those ideas like in the shower or when you're falling asleep or when you're like tying your shoe, you know, just these odd, like when your brain has settled, you know, the physical physiological aspect of when these cells have sort of settled in your brain and then like you'll be relaxed and you'll be like that's it you know talking to other people and bouncing ideas off of them helps sometimes even if it's like again even if you're talking about 20 horrible things it's better than talking about nothing exactly Um, exactly you know even even if you're journaling 10 terrible ideas and and you're just following through to their normal end conclusion. And you look at them all the next day and you're like, these are terrible. That's better than nothing. Absolutely. It's something something to start off. It's something to start from. So I try to just like, and in, in TV, like when we have such tight, strict deadlines, it doesn't fucking matter if you don't think it's good, you got to turn it in. It does not matter. <laughs> There's the deadline and the cameras are rolling on a certain date and you just got to turn it in. So that actually is helpful. It is helpful because you, that, like you said, that's it. It's done. And chances are it's way better than you think it is. And the yeah. viewing audience at the end of the day appreciates it way more than you would think that they would. And the pressure is really good. I mean, that's why I'm a book coach. I pressure people to be accountable and keep writing, whether they think it's good or not. They might be like, oh, this is so crappy, but I'm turning it in anyway. I'm like, great. You you wrote this week. Yeah. I, I, and And there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, that's the biggest thing is just doing it. It, it really is. And it's never as good or as bad as you think it is, you know, either way, it's somewhere in the middle, you know, yeah. like I wrote an episode of Ozark in season one. That was a pretty polarizing episode as far as some people loved it and some people hated it. It was kind of a, a different episode where every scene was out of order. It was sort of a flashback episode and, and every scene was out of order to form a few different stories. And some people loved it. Some people was like, this is one of the best episodes of television I've seen. And some people are like, 
this is, I was, I fell asleep. Why did they do this? And it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's fine. Like, it's, it's fine. It doesn't matter. You know, you're not, you're not going to please anyone, no matter, everyone, no matter what you do. Um, you know, you gotta, yep. you just gotta, yep. people ask me, you know, when I'm finishing something, oh, is it good? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know if it's good or bad. It's mine. You know, I can tell you if it's competent, like I can tell you if the story is working, if it makes sense, I can tell you if, if the logic makes sense, but I don't know if it's good or not. You tell me, you know, I don't know. I love that perspective. It really just, you know, simplifies it all. It's like just right and just be in the right place at the right time so that your work gets seen and then let it go. Because at the end of the day, you've done the best you can. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I know we could talk for another hour, but I wanted to end on this one question. What's a dream project for you to write? Uh, probably hasn't come up yet. There's a couple in the, there's a couple in the pipeline right now that have come my way that I don't want to jinx. Um, so I'm not going to get into the specifics of them, but there's one in particular that'd be a limited series based on a book that was sent to me that I, I love. It's, I love it. And it'd be an amazing, amazing opportunity. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully something like that will come through. I'm collaborating on a project with a, a buddy I went to grad school with. We're sort of taking this time being on lockdown and, and, and getting work done. I just sold a podcast with a documentary filmmaker, and we're about to close that deal. And that's a passion project because there's not a lot of money in, in selling podcasts, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a scripted podcast. Yeah, it's a scripted podcast, do 10 episodes, each episode about a half hour, and they're finalizing that deal now. And that's a passion project, which could hopefully maybe one day be adapted for television. Um, so there's there's a couple. Um, and then I have some just original stuff bouncing around. And, you know, it's uh, – and then I've had passion projects that haven't gone anywhere. So – but it's nice to everyone. have them. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, you know, everyone in this business that I know of, some of the most successful people, they have that project they can't get off the ground. You know, you think no matter what level you're at that you walk into a room and sell a project. The truth is people like Spielberg have a bunch of projects that don't go. It's just the way it is. You know, one of my bosses, um, one of my bosses created the show Rescue Me and wrote for Larry Sanders and, you know, is is one of my mentors and close friends. And, and he has passion projects, you know, that and you're thinking if you didn't know, if you're if you're on the outside, you say, oh, that person can walk in a room and they'll hand him a, a bag of cash and be on his way. And it, it's just no matter what level you're at. There's something you're trying to do that's a passion project and some go and some don't. And it's just whatever level you're at, you're always trying to do that next thing. 
Well, thank you for that. And thank you for normalizing the TV writing industry for us today and making it just real and on the table. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. Appreciate it. You've been listening to You Should Write a Book About That. To make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to know more about how to write a book, check us out at a storyinside.com.